Let us pray. Father, my prayer is a simple prayer this morning. It is simply, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Inhabit these, our actions and our words and our everything. Bring the resurrection life into the deepest places in our hearts. Those places that have not been reached yet. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Good Good to see so many of you. (laughs) So we're going to focus on the Luke passage. Big surprise there. Uh, When resurrection comes, are any of us ready for it? Surprise, right? The remaining 11 apostles, they are surprised. The larger group of disciples, men and women alike, they are surprised. The unnamed Emmaus travelers that happen after this in Luke 24, they are definitely surprised. And yet, in Luke alone, Jesus predicts his resurrection six times, as early as Luke 9, as late as Luke 18. It's clear that the disciples didn't seem to grasp the point of what Jesus was promising. Jesus' followers had to be convinced of the resurrection. How did they forget something this critical? How did they miss it? I mean, some of these folks had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. How did they miss this? When resurrection comes, are any of us ready for it? Now, I can't emphasize this enough. The women at the tomb did not go there believing in the resurrection. It isn't like a kid at Christmas morning who's going downstairs expecting to see the half-drunk glass of milk, the half-eaten cookie, the stockings full, and the presents under the tree. It's not like that. They did not go to check and see, oh, I think the tomb's empty. Let's go see. They took spices to anoint the dead, decaying body of Jesus, despite what Jesus had said in his half-dozen resurrection predictions in Luke. So the first people who had to be convinced of the resurrection, those closest to Jesus, those those who he'd spent hours, days, weeks, and months with. The first skeptics, the first in need of convincing was the inner circle, the inner circle. It wasn't just about doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap. It was about everyone, okay? Despite Jesus' promise of resurrection, everyone is oriented to death. Have you noticed that? So when the women come to the empty tomb, they meet the two angels. They are predictably frightened. That's the typical scriptural response when you come upon an angel or when an angel comes upon you. They're terrified, and they bow to the ground in reverence. They, they hit the deck, okay? Angels are usually heralds and God's messengers. It's interesting, though. Do you notice there are two of them here? Two angels. Why two? I don't know about you, but one is typically one angel is typically enough to get God's point across, Right? <laughs> Typically, the people get the message. I mean, look at the Annunciation for crying out loud. It worked there. One was enough. Let's put on our Old Testament thinking cap. If you want to confirm something is true, an event, okay, an oath, an agreement of some sort, you needed two witnesses. This is Deuteronomy 19.15. You've got to have two witnesses. It takes one witness to deliver the news, but it takes two witnesses, angels in this case, to confirm this is true. This is true. So we've got confirmation here in spades. We've got two angels testifying to the risen Christ and then at least three women 
who then testify to what they all saw, the stone rolled away, the empty tomb, the grave closed, the two angelic messengers, the risen Christ. I mean, this is Old Testament confirmation in every sense. There are those who testify to the truth of the resurrection. And the angel asked that not-so-innocent question. Reminds me of the sort of questions that Jesus asks. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you come here expecting death? Why would you come here expecting death? He's not here. He's defeated death itself. He is risen, or he has been raised, which points to the truth that God the Father raised him, and it's echoed throughout the rest of the New Testament. Ladies, why come here expecting death? Despite Jesus' promises of resurrection, everyone is oriented to death. And I think the angels give what I would call is a soft rebuke here. And they basically say, don't you remember? Don't you remember? The angel reminds them of what Jesus had told them. And it says this. he says this, remember how he told you the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now, can you get more clear than that? Remember? Remember? Don't you remember? There's no new gospel here. There's no new data. There's no surprise. Jesus spoke plainly about this. The angel is merely echoing and reminding them of what Jesus has already said, the story that God has already been writing. Love this. Despite Jesus' promise of resurrection, everyone is oriented to death. And the passage says, Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered his words. My suspicion is in their grief and shock, evidently they forgot. In their grief and shock, evidently they had forgotten. And as they remembered, some measure of conviction seems to take hold of them. They had heard these words before, but Jesus, come on, he speaks so metaphorically sometimes. All those parables, all those stories, all those figures of speech, perhaps they kind of filed it away in their hearts somewhere. But now they saw that Jesus had meant it, literally. He spoke plainly about it. And something clicks as these women remember, and they believe. They believe. And they race to tell who else, but who are they going to go tell? The disciples, the apostles, right? The rest of the inner circle, the remaining 11 apostles, right? If anyone wants to hear the news, it's going to be them. If anybody's going to be overjoyed, it's going to be them. Yes, and let's tell the other followers of Jesus what good news. I mean, can you imagine a better outcome given everything that has happened here? The women are convinced. They're convinced. They are the first believers, the first converts to the new covenant. They've often been called the first true disciples, if you kind of follow the meaning here and the logic of what I'm saying. And they share the good news with the apostles, and they're caught up in the joy and the incredulity of it all. And the apostles, the 11, don't believe. (laughs) They don't believe. And let's be clear here. They were not poised on the brink of belief and just needing a little nudge. There's not this relief of, oh, ladies, thank you so very much. We were hoping and waiting on a good reason to believe in Jesus' resurrection. No. They were utterly skeptical. They called this an idle tale, right? This is a fool's hope. What is this nonsense? Even when these women they knew and trusted told them of their experiences, the 11 apostles did not believe. They didn't believe. Now, in other gospel accounts, they're more descriptive about how they handled the women. Uh, It says they regarded them as hysterical. Their words were like nonsense. Nonsense as in, you're so crazy that you're having delusions. You can't distinguish between reality and dreams, like that kind of uh, nonsense. 
like the gibberish of a madman or mad women in this case. In other words, they're treated as if you're out of your mind. You're crazy. This is not, this can't be true. Now, we have the great benefit of hindsight. The church confidently proclaims the resurrection now. You and I did not have to live in the tension of Holy Week as they did, though we tried our best to inhabit the story this past week with Palm Sunday, with Monday, Thursday, with Good Friday, leading up to today. The original witnesses had to be convinced that it had occurred. One author says this, Resurrection had been promised by Scripture and by Jesus himself, but only slowly, grudgingly, and methodically did the disciples come to see that Jesus was alive except for maybe Peter, just maybe, verse 12. Okay, Something in his heart is curious, maybe even desirous to believe that, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, perhaps. Peter can't sit still upon hearing the news. Okay, Perhaps there's a whiff of belief and hope that's still alive somewhere in his heart. So he gets up, he bolts to the tomb, sees the linen clothes by themselves, and departs, uh, quote-unquote, marveling or, quote-unquote, wondering. Maybe similar to how young Mary pondered and wondered over the angelic words from the Annunciation. Maybe it's that kind of wondering. Now, there's a lot of debate among scholars and pastors of whether Peter believes here or not. Is this the point of belief? Is it not? Uh, we're not really sure, to be honest. Uh, there's not a strong consensus. But we can say this. Something stirs within him to go and check out the story when the other apostles remain skeptical. Okay, Peter's heart is searching, and so he takes action. Very Peter, right? Take action. Do something. Something's afoot. Got to go check it out. What if the women are right? And I wonder if that question is lingering in his head, and that is what propels him as he makes his way to the tomb. Peter walks away from the tomb contemplating what might lie ahead. But overall, the reality of the resurrection is slow to sink in with Jesus' followers. Just look at the story that follows. The Emmaus Road account kind of proves the point. So get this. (laughs) At the end of this passage about the resurrection, for crying out loud, overall, here's what we know. The women come to believe. The apostles overall don't believe, except for Peter, maybe, and John, if you read his gospel account. Overall, the resurrection gets a very mixed reception. (laughs) Why? Well, Because despite Jesus' promises of resurrection, everyone is oriented to death. In their shock, in their grief, they evidently forgot what he told them. In their shock and their grief, they evidently forgot what Jesus had said, the promises he had made. Now, can you and I relate to that or what? Big time. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And folks, that's Easter Sunday. (laughs) That's the resurrection. Uh, Wow, right? Uh, Jesus walks, let me just, let's recap here, okay? Just to make a point. Jesus walks an unimaginable path of love, of suffering, of God-forsakenness and death. He goes to hell and back for us. Some traditions hold literally that he did. And he pulls off his most amazing miracle yet. And it's not a surprise because he talked about it half a dozen times. And it's met with a mixed review. (laughs) Skepticism, no expectation of life. It's like giving your kid the best gift imaginable, only to have them barely look up from their iPhone to pay attention. 
Now, if I'm in God's shoes, which you should thank the Lord that I'm not, but if I were, I don't know what I want to do with the ridiculousness of this. Laugh at the utter absurdity of it. Beat my head against the proverbial walls of heaven, maybe. Wipe everyone off the face of the earth, call it a day, or just take a nice long vacation and say, guys, you're on your own for a little bit. Fend for yourselves. So as, yeah, it's a good thing God is not like me. But in essence, God says, surprise, it's resurrection. And our reaction is kind of, meh, meh. Despite Jesus' promise of resurrection, everyone was oriented to death. But because of that empty tomb, not anymore. Not anymore. No longer are you and I oriented to death. Now we're oriented to life. So if you'll follow my meaning here, it's time to arise as these hymns beckon us. It's time to arise and to leave that empty tomb because we don't live in that place of death anymore. We don't live there anymore. A culture of death might surround us. The world is too much with us most of the time, but it's time to leave that empty tomb, to leave that place of death. It's time to believe or as I often say and will say today, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's where most of us probably are. It's time to believe not only that Jesus is alive. Some acknowledge the resurrection as a historical fact, but they're not Christians. But that his resurrection changed something. <laughs> that it changed everything. The world has been different since he came back to life. It's never the same. We're not the same. And God has placed the power of his resurrection, which is kind of like the spiritual equivalent of a nuclear reactor in our midst, in our hearts. Despite Jesus' promise of resurrection, everyone's oriented to death. But because of that empty tomb, not anymore. No longer are you oriented to death, brothers and sisters. The resurrection changed everything. Now you're oriented to life. So it's time to arise it's time to leave that empty tomb, that place of death. It's time to believe. Maybe it's time to testify. Maybe it is. It's time to believe that we, his church and his people, are a colony of heaven in the country of death. To be the colony of heaven in the country of death, right here and right now. And we shall not be overcome, for he is risen. But we must arise and leave that empty tomb those places of death in our life. You don't live there anymore. You don't live there anymore. Don't decorate it. Don't get comfortable. Don't live there. Leave. It's time to arise and leave. Folks, hell itself, the world, the flesh, and the devil, guess what? They can't undo the resurrection. You can't undo it. Nothing can make the resurrection untrue. Nothing can. Jesus proclaimed it's finished, and as soon as he did, it was. Death and sin, guess what? No longer your North Star. Not anymore. Resurrection is your North Star now. That is your North Star. Now we're oriented to life. Everything orbits around the resurrected Christ. So it's time to live as if Jesus is alive because he is. He's alive. I don't know about you, but haven't you had enough of death? I mean, haven't you absolutely had enough of death? Aren't you sick and tired of being defined by death and sin more than by the resurrected, risen life of Jesus. Then arise. It's time to leave that empty tomb, that place of death. It's time. It's time. No longer are we oriented to death. It's time for some of you to just say a simple, Lord, I believe. 
Lord, I believe. But my suspicion is that most of us, since we're so used to living on Holy Saturday, really want to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's an honest response on Easter. That counts. That's legit. Okay? If you can't say, Lord, I believe with your whole heart, uh, then say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because that is valid. I think sometimes we can say that because we're accustomed to the death of Holy Saturday. We live in that tension between Good Friday and Easter. We're accustomed to the ways of death being around us, and we forget the resurrection. So we need reminding. We need help in our unbelief, don't we? We'll end here. It's time to arise and leave that empty tomb. It's time to leave that place of death. It's not your home anymore. It's time. So arise, people of God. You are oriented to death no more. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Amen.